Welcome to our Clothed with the Sun daily podcast, our reading and meditation on the gospel of the day. I am James Thomas. Today is January the 1st, 2024. I can't believe it. Happy New Year, everyone. It is also the Solemnity of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Mother of God. It is the eighth day in the octave of Christmas, and it is also, I mean, in the old calendar, we made more of a feast out of it, but it's the day that we acknowledge and recognize and perhaps even celebrate the circumcision of our Lord. Our gospel reading today is from St. Luke. The shepherds went in haste to Bethlehem and found Mary and Joseph and the infant lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known the message that had been told them about this child. All who heard it were amazed by what had been told them by the shepherds. And Mary kept all these things, reflecting on them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as it had been told to them. When eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So, today we have a big day. I know our world is celebrating New Year's Day, as if that's the only thing going on, but it's the eighth day in the octave of Christmas, so we have come full circle. On the first day, we celebrate the baby boy. On the eighth day, we celebrate the mother while we're still celebrating her baby boy. The baby boy is really what gives her her identity. He is what gives you and me (laughs) our identity, both as redeemed Hopefully, God willing, we are working towards redemption by baptized members of the body of Christ, but also just in our existence, we get our our identity uh, from him. Tomorrow, I was going to talk a little bit about the importance of identity. Who am I? When they're asking John the Baptist, who are you exactly? Uh, But today, we're just going to talk about beginnings. It's the beginning of a new year. We celebrate the beginning of this year with Mary. It's so important that we begin with Mary, which is why, hey, she's also very involved in Christmas. The whole thing is about the Holy Family, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, the season of Advent, the season of Christmas, and this very special time of the octave. Also, as we talk about beginnings, there is a recognition that we need each other, that we need help that we can't do it without one another. We can't do it without the Lord. We also can't do it without Mary. God has chosen to place her at the center of everything. So we can't do it without her. But there is also pain. So, you know, the fact that there's no room in the inn, the fact that they have to travel, there's so much sacrifice and suffering in the life of the Holy Family and ultimately in the life of Jesus. And this is what he does. This is what he takes on for our salvation. It's what he willingly endures, even as a baby. And there are those who say that this day, this Feast of the Circumcision, is honoring the first time Jesus shed his blood for the salvation of the human race. The first time. It's going to happen, as we know, greater in a, in a greater way than anyone's ever had to endure. But this is the beginning of it here. And Mary, you know, she's not going to meet Simeon until 40 days in, 40 days after the birth, in which he talks to her about the sword piercing her heart and Jesus being a sign of contradiction. But this is really a little bit of foreshadowing of that. 
Jesus, uh, he, Jesus doesn't have to fulfill any of the requirements of the law because he's God, but he does. He does because he's living as one of us. He's emptied himself of his divinity. He's going through everything that we have to go through. And so there is a, a divine condescension. We call it the kenosis. Jesus lays it all down and Mary endures all of it with him. Mothers hear their babies cry all the time, and yet still there is some pain in that. Uh, no one likes their children to be crying, to be upset, to be in pain. Once again, Mary is going to experience that par excellence at the cross, but it does begin on this Feast of the Circumcision. And, I mean, never mind the pain in childbirth that mothers typically have to go through. We, when we talk about Mary, and I know some people don't like when I say this, but this is our, our doctrine and our dogma of our church. Mary experienced a virgin birth, so she did not endure labor pains the way that uh, other women do. You know, Mary remains a virgin even during and after the birth. Her body does not go through the rupturing that another woman's body would go through. Yet, at the same time, um, in the book of Revelation, it talks about Mary laboring in pain. And so a lot of great saints and church fathers have interpreted that passage to mean she's laboring in pain as she gives birth to all of us, as she gives birth to the church, because it all happens at the cross. And Mary endures horrible pain for you and me to be born. So there's so many mysteries here. They all come together. This day, as we celebrate a new year with Mary, we are celebrating a new birth in Christ, and through the intercession of Mary, together with Our Lady. I just have some stories that might be a little bit edifying to just drive home some of these points. One is just the story of St. John Vianney. I, I preach about him all the time with uh, a lot of different purposes in mind, a lot of different themes. But I mean, in his early life, what do we see? We see the French Revolution. We see horrible persecution of Catholics. We see this little boy going to church with his mother in secret. They had to hide their faith. They had to go in secret, but the mother wasn't afraid, and she wasn't afraid to bring her kid. And there were other children as well. And then he's drafted into the military, and he deserts because he doesn't want to kill people, and he doesn't want to be involved in that. He knows he's called to be a priest. He wants to be a priest. Nothing is going to stop him in his vocation. And so it begins with his mother. It also begins with a great devotion to the Blessed Mother. He gets ordained barely because he wasn't a good student. He gets sent to the poorest, smallest parish in the diocese, out in the middle of nowhere, the, the parish of Ars. And now Ars is one of the most famous parishes in all of France because of his time there, because of what he did. But one thing I wanted to point out well, there's a number of things to point out, but a very, very important thing is consecration to Mary. And this is what I do. Any assignment I'm ever given, any job I ever take, uh, parish work, ministry, teaching, etc., I consecrate everyone to Mary. Everyone that I have authority over, the authority thing is crucial. Anybody under me, I consecrate them to Jesus through Mary. St. John Vianney went into his parish and there was nothing. There, It was poor. It was broken down. Uh... The church was in need of repairs. The people were not going to church. There was no life in this place. And it remained that way 
for up to like 10 years. But he prayed, he consecrated everybody to the Blessed Mother. And, you know, within 20, 30 years, he was able to brag in the Lord that every single one of his parishioners was in the state of grace. And he could read their souls, by the way. But this is where he went because he consecrated everyone to Mary. This is what he believed. He gave everybody to the Blessed Mother and she took care of it all. She made sure that everyone was in grace, that everyone received salvation, that everybody was brought to the Lord. And a couple decades down the road, we're going to have a revival in all of France, a post-revolution revival with ours at the center and the people of France all going to this little church to, to find salvation, to go to confession, to see the magnificent work that he had done, to meet the people, to pray together, and for they themselves to enter into the beautiful Marian devotions that he had set up. Um, another thing I think of is just how much every good man <laughs> needs a good woman, right? Um, and we say this as the church. You know, even Jesus himself chose to have Mary as his partner, to have Mary. I mean, we see at the wedding of Cana, we see it in so many times, so many ways. Mary follows. Mary is always part of everything. Um, you know, uh, and I don't mean to say this in a way that like, well, the man is the one doing everything and the woman's just like the secretary, the woman's, you know, the shadow behind. In a lot of cases in the past, that did actually happen. And in a lot of cases, yes, we've had a lot of chauvinism and women pushed out of the way. And in a lot of cases, women choose to be in the shadows, in the background. I know so many women right now that for whatever reason, the way they were raised, and a lot of times it's a good thing. It's their humility. Uh, they see themselves as, well, this, you know, whatever, they're in the background there, but they're, they're essential. A good man will realize I can't do it without this woman. The, the job that I have whatever, the life that I have, just my own struggle to be saved. I can't do it without this woman who nurtures me, who guides me, who helps me. And it's definitely an affirmation of women. Pope John Paul said so much about the dignity of women um, and wrote whole documents on it. And he called, he, he coined a phrase, the feminine genius. It's different than feminism. Feminism says we want to make men and women the same. And we want to actually like take revenge against men for their chauvinism of the past. The feminine genius simply says, and this is really where I'm going with all this, uh, you know, even though the stories might seem chauvinistic or whatever, the feminine genius is that we recognize women for who and what they are. We appreciate them, that women appreciate themselves for who and what they are, what their particular gifts are the way they do succeed, even though people don't always see it. We thank women for their motherhood, but we also thank women for all of their contributions in all the various parts of society, regardless of who, who they are or what they're doing, whether they be a head of state, whether they be a great doctor. I mean, look at, we have St. Gianna, who was a great doctor and a very sacrificial woman. Um, so many great saints, women that have become doctors of the church, St. Catherine, St. Teresa of Avila. St. Teresa, you know, founder of a great community in the church during the Counter-Reformation. Such an important person. But anyway, the feminine genius simply says, we take women for who they are. We recognize their gifts. We 
we we hold them up and we say thank you to women. We say like, hey, you, I wouldn't have, we wouldn't have been able to do this without you. And look at all that you've accomplished. Look at what you have done. And I know, I mean, just in teaching and so many young girls, you know, that have been maybe neglected or put down. I mean, it happens with the guys too, but each in different ways. And in both cases, whether we're talking about boys or girls, there needs to be a recognition. There needs to be a love. There needs to be an attentiveness, a pointing out of, hey, look at your gifts and and look at the contribution that you made to the overall picture here and praise the Lord. So we recognize and we celebrate the feminine genius. And yeah, a couple more stories. I was watching a movie the other day. My grandmother had a cousin that was a little older than her. His name was Grover Cleveland Alexander, named after the president. And he was a famous baseball player. I think he was born in Nebraska. He ended up living in Missouri, which is where most of the family lived. He played for the Phillies. He played for the Cubs. He played for the Cardinals. And he was an amazing pitcher. He struggled with health problems. And then at one point he struggled with alcoholism. Um, but the, there was a movie made about his life and we're so honored that here we have a relative who had a movie made about him starring Ronald Reagan and Doris Day. And it's called the winning team. And I'm running out of time. So this is where we're going to end things here. Just talking about the winning team. Grover Cleveland Alexander was an amazing pitcher and he actually led the, the Cardinals to win a world series later in his career. While he was sick, he was struggling with epilepsy. He was in lots of pain. He was struggling horribly, yet he still had great stats at that point, and he led them to win the World Series. And he openly said he couldn't do it without his wife. When she was sitting there in her seat, she always had the same seat. When she was there in that seat, he would pitch almost a perfect game. He was pitching shutouts. He was striking out Babe Ruth and... Lou Gehrig. Uh, But when she was not in the seat, he would have a a seizure and he wasn't able to pitch and he wasn't able to finish the game. Um, And so they call it the winning team. And at one point, because of his alcoholism, she had given up on him, but she was not, she, she was not fully cognizant of his sickness and what he was struggling with. And when they got on the same page again, when they communicated these things to each other, they were able to once again become that winning team. They got on the same page and she was there helping him, supporting him. And um, anyway, that's what the winning team refers to, not the Cardinals or the Phillies, but their marriage. And it's funny because that's a true story. But I think of um, all these movies about boxing that I love. Well, Cinderella Man is also a true story about James Braddock during the Great Depression in the 30s. Uh, He won the title and he said, I couldn't have done it without my wife because of all the love and encouragement and support that she gave me. Um, And of course, there's the Rocky movies where Adrian is against him, but then she's for him. And but when she's there in his corner, he wins. And um, anyway, this is just it points us back to what we're doing today. And that is celebrating Mary, our mother. She's the mother of Christ. She automatically then becomes our mother, but even more so, he gives her to us. She guides the church. In the early church, they call her mother. Even in the show, The Chosen, that's being done mostly by Protestants, they're still calling her mother. I love that. And they're showing scenes later in her life where she's important to 
the spread of Christianity. She's important to the apostles as they're leading the church. She's right there with them. She's not given that role of bishop, but she's the mother. You know, we say a lot of times, and this is another thing we can debate on another occasion, the man, the husband is the head of the family. Um, the family cannot survive without its heart. Sometimes the family is brain dead, but it's still alive because the heart is there. The mother, the woman, um, <laughs> right? So yeah, the man can be the head of the family. The woman is the heart of the family. Mary is the heart of the church. We have a couple different places where we refer to the heart of the church. One thing that that means is the Eucharist. Another thing is Mary. Mary is there at the heart of the church. Uh, Mary is loving us into salvation. She's intervening for us. She's interceding for us. She is the queen of heaven and earth that sits beside the king, which is Jesus, sitting at the right hand of his father. And um, we can't lose if we have Mary. I was reading some things the past couple of days, the exorcist talking about how when a person has a scapular on, when a person wears the rosary around the neck, when the person carries the rosary, so, like I was reading something, I think it was just yesterday, some exorcists, when they were dealing with somebody that was possessed, they simply made the person wear the rosary. And in some cases, the person was no longer possessed after a week or two because the devil can't stand the scapular, the rosary, and anything has to, that has to do with the Blessed Mother because she crushes his head. Talk about the feminine genius. Talk about women's accomplishments. This is the greatest of them all. Mary crushes the demon's head. She crushes the head of the serpent, which is why I want her to be at the center of my life. And I wish to consecrate everything, all that I am, all that I have, to Jesus through Mary. So I pray that you will all do the same. I pray that you have a wonderful day and a wonderful new year. And we'll talk again tomorrow. And... Uh, God bless you. Let's keep each other in prayer.